Hello, welcome to the extras for another week. Lachlan Grice here again, joined this week by Raj. Hey everyone, Lachlan, great to have you here. Great to be here. Um, I think, what, three weeks now? Yeah, we're getting there. Getting there. You're an expert in all things, <laughs> including the extras. <laughs> yes, no, definitely still getting there on all of those things. Uh, but it's good to be with you this morning and chatting about Hebrews this week. So we launched into Hebrews on Sunday, chapter 1. Uh, it was great to be starting to think about Jesus as the author yeah. of Hebrews gets us there. Do you want to refresh us a little bit? What do we see on Sunday? Yeah, so look, Hebrews 1, we started verse 1, we end up in chapter 2, verse um, um, 4. And really, first part of Hebrews, so 1, 1 to 4, it has, I didn't put it like this on Sunday, but it's really the principle. The principle is that in these last days in which we now are in, that God speaks through his son. Um, his son is the way that God reveals himself finally and definitively. We've got some questions. We'll fill it out mm. in a moment. Uh, then from verse 5 through really to the end of chapter 1, there's a whole lot of reasoning that's spelled out. And I, I love the method of reasoning and I love what we learn in the method of reasoning, which is the author is taking the Hebrews back to what they knew and what they valued and what they held as authoritative. And that was the Old Testament. Um, and we, again, we've got questions on this, which we're looking forward to coming to. Um, they, I'm going to say in a moment, you know, really it, it seems a tradition had developed rightly or wrongly, where they were looking to be angels as the mediators of the Old Covenant, which there's something in that, I think. But um, So he's really arguing then back from Old Testament passages to say Jesus is always the one who was said was going to come, who is greater than the angels. Don't The, the, the Old Testament revelation was there to point us to Jesus, mm. who is now the full revelation. Mm. And and so therefore we come into chapter 2 and that key verse there, verse 1, we must pay the most mm. careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Mm. And that gets us into the context of Hebrews. People had heard, um, and Hebrews, Jews, had heard the message of the cross in Jesus and they seem to have come to a trust in Jesus of some kind but now there is a temptation, and indeed some probably were reverting back mm. to their former way of life. So you can see you, you can see what the author's doing, holding up Jesus, mm. the one for whom God now reveals himself, um, explaining to them why that's the case in their own terms, mm. and then saying, don't drift. Yeah, nice. Yep. We're going to say lots about Jesus as we go on in <clears throat> Hebrews. It's a wonderful book for fleshing out lots of the riches of the glory of Christ. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let's get into some of the questions that came through. A whole bunch of questions that are really good. Glad to see people wrestling with Scripture, what it says, what it means. You mentioned at the start of Hebrews 1, uh, talks about God now speaking through his son. Uh, someone's asked, helpfully, you know, does it actually say that God has spoken, fine, spoken finally through Jesus? Yeah, the apostles came after Jesus. Wasn't God speaking through them as well? Does he not still speak through preachers today like yourself? Yeah. What's going on there? Great question. So <clears throat> the role of preachers and the role of the apostles was to help people understand Jesus and what he said. Mm. And in fact, back when I was at college, I at one point did a little project on, you know, why is the New Testament the New Testament? It was kind of a question. Um, and really 
the answer for that is because of its testimony to Jesus. Mm. As they went through different tests in the early church to work out what was in, what was out, that was their test. So the role of the apostles, <clears throat> um, an apostle is like a herald or a messenger, and their role is to, to provide a message. And the content of that message is Jesus. Mm. So <clears throat> it's it's completely the case that, you know, Hebrews 1 here in those words in chapter 1, verse 3, Verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Um, that is true of the Bible. Mm. Um, the point, of course, is there is not some new novel edition to come. Mm. There is a testimony that takes us back. I think, sorry, this is going slightly beyond the question, but I think it's really helpful just to get us thinking about... <clears throat> You know, we live in a world where we just crave the latest thing. Mm. You know, you look at phones and all kinds of things and they're always inventing new features, they call them, which most people don't use. Yeah. But there's something we crave about having something new and different. Totally, yeah. And that's a danger when it comes to the Bible. Yeah. We, because the Bible is consistently taking us back to Jesus, yeah. the one through whom God, I did use the term, finally and definitively speaks. Um, and in the context, the point is the angels <clears throat> were setting the foundation. By that, what I mean is the Old Testament was setting the foundation. Sometimes you talk about progressive revelation through the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> and progressive re revelation reaches its climax in Christ. Mm. So everything that comes since, the apostles, preachers, books, whatever it might be, <clears throat> they're, they're, the reason we have those is to keep pointing us to the fullest revelation mm. we have in Christ. Mm. And even when we look at the Old Testament now, uh, we apply what we call biblical theology, which helps us understand how it is fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. It's really helpful. And I think as you say <clears throat> that, it makes me think of some alternatives in the present-day world as well. So we live in a world of Islam, a world of... The Latter-day Saints up the road from us here, the world of Baha'i, all of whom would say there's some new revelation of God since Jesus that has superseded Jesus. The way you're phrasing it there, you're going, no, no, Jesus is the final word. There is no new word to come after that. Yeah. So that's helpful to ponder in the midst of those other religious options as well. Uh, another question flying on here, um, someone's helpfully noticing that there are not many direct words of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. So how does that fit with the idea that Jesus is the word for us to listen to? Um, I think in this, so it's like the Gospels. The Gospels is a combination of words of Jesus and also people, eyewitnesses reporting what they saw of Jesus, what they heard of mm. Jesus, what they learned mm. from Jesus. Uh, a good part of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul who had the Damascus Road experience where he encountered Jesus. And the, the Spirit then worked in him as a messenger to the Gentiles. So God has worked through his, particularly through those eyewitnesses. Hebrews mm. is an example, probably one later out. Mm. But particularly through the apostles, and I include the Apostle Paul, who had direct contact with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who were able to process and put things together for us. 
Um, and then Hebrews, of course, is trying to push us back to, to, to all of those things and show us how it all ties together. So it's come along a bit later in, mm. in history, mm. um, but still very much, and I think we see this in, in chapter 2, those verses, chapter, sorry, chapter 2, verses um, 3 and 4, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit to, to, to distribute it according to his will. So there's all kinds of different ways in which God is working to point us to his Son. I think it would be a mistake in this to think only rely on the direct words of Jesus. Mm. Um, now I know we have red-letter Bibles. I know it's hard to buy Bibles these days, but they're not red-letters. <laughs> Um, but it is one of the dangers mm. that we only read the words of Jesus mm. and we ignore, because the whole way that it's come to us, God works through people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You've taken us to verse 34 of chapter 2 there. There are a couple of questions there. Let's just jump and tackle those quickly here. So who are those who heard in verse 3? Oh, um, I take, well, the... The most direct reference there, I think, is to the apostles. Yeah. The, the people right. who became the apostles. Um, and I included that, as I said a moment ago, the apostle Paul. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, so those who had direct contact, they mm. were the ones who then were entrusted with, Yeah. you know, day of Pentecost, um, Jesus ascending, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, yeah. the gospel going out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think you see that in the way that John starts his first letter as well. What we've seen, what we've heard, what we've touched, yeah, we'll pass point. on to you. Peter would talk about confirming the things that the prophets had spoken and then passing those on. So you see that in the way the yeah. apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, themselves. Paul does the same thing. What we yeah. have heard, we pass on as first importance. Yeah. Yep. Also in verse 4, there it talks about God testifying to these things by gifts of the Spirit, miracles. Um, can you. Fill that out for us a little bit. How does God testify to Jesus in those things? Sure. Well, you know, sometimes it's said um, the time when Jesus was living was one of a, a period of concentration of miracles. I think when you average it out from the year dot, there's been a miracle every 30 years or what we call a miracle mm. every 30 years. But they weren't every 30 years. They were in clumps. So yeah. one clump was in the time of Moses. Yeah. And we think of the, you know, the Exodus and so on. Another time was Elijah and Elisha, and mm -hmm. then the third time was when Jesus was here, and we saw his 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 healings everywhere. And of course, those healings had the impact um, of getting people to stop and think, "Who is this person? With what authority has he come?" Mm. And Jesus, um, it was like his way in to get to for people to see that they should listen to him. And then consistently he tried to point them to the even deeper reason that he's come. Mm. Yeah. So God was testifying, even on the cross, you know, God was testifying the, um, the darkness, the um, even in the birth of Jesus just coming out of Christmas. All of these things just keep pointing us to Christ. Mm. Mm. Sometimes they're Jesus' words. Sometimes they're words that others have given us who are eyewitnesses to Jesus. Mm. Other times it's God working a sign mm. or a wonder or a miracle. Um, and then even after that, you didn't ask me this, but probably the next question, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the mm. same thing. Yeah. And 
Um, those gifts of the Holy Spirit are given again to point people to the to, to Christ. It's very interesting actually here that um, it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the context of confirming salvation. Mm. It's not divorce from salvation. Mm. Now I'm mm. sure that there's another, you know, use of one Corinthians twelve, sorry, fourteen or twelve or really twelve fills that out a bit more. But it's interesting here, often we can think of this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit as being in some different category. Mm. But but here it's quite connected to salvation. Yeah, and as you say, I'm sure we could press a lot further into that idea and that question, but we might have to save that for one yeah. of Corinthians <laughs> or Romans or one of the passages that talks more about the gifts. Uh, I think you're right to connect those two, and again, it makes me think of uh, John's Gospel, where very clearly Jesus signs uh, teaching and yep. confirming something about him, uh, or even the prayer of the apostles in Acts 2, where they ask God to work in these miraculous ways to affirm the gospel that they're then preaching. It's kind of a theme that is spread across the New yep. Testament there. Good. Thank you, you for that. Sorry, next question. <laughs> uh, let's talk about angels for a bit, because that's good fun. And, you know, Hebrews 1 is one of a few places in the New Testament that really presses into angels. We don't hear about them too often. And so that sparks some questions for people. Uh, you mentioned on Sunday angels paving the way for Jesus. How do they do that? Yeah. So I think, thank you. This is a great question. And I just love the thought that's mm. you know behind it. So whoever put it in, thank you. It, it, it does seem pretty clear that and we talked about this before, Lachlan. You, you may want to expand on this. You may have looked at this more than I have. But um, a a tradition had seemed, seemed to have developed for the Hebrews that connected Old Testament revelation with um, coming through angels. And he's trying to appeal to that tradition in the same way that I want to encourage us to appeal to whatever traditions or whatever things about whatever people value today mm. um, as a way of helping argue from that to uh, to showing that Jesus is greater. Mm. So so I that's the background of what's happening here. He's, he's trying to there's there's, there's not I, I don't think there's a great deal of teaching about the angels themselves. But there's a lot of mention of angels. Mm. And then every time there's a mention of angels, so, you know, chapter 1, verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, he then quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the very thing that they're upholding. Mm, mm. Um, and then he's using that as an argument, not to talk about the greatness of angels, but to talk about the greatness of Christ. Mm. So that's... So let me just try to summarise that. The angels paved the way for Jesus by providing the Old Testament. Mm. And Old. the Old Testament paves the way for Jesus mm. by, as we see here, I think there's seven different quotations. Just in here yeah. alone, there could be many, many others. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean, I love thinking about angels in a way. I think it's a topic that a lot of Christians haven't thought much about, part of the spiritual world we haven't thought much about. Uh, just been reading through Exodus recently in my quiet times, and you see 
around the distribution of the law, you know, when Moses is first called, the burning bush is there. God is speaking to Moses through an angel. The angel of the Lord is there. Again, as God brings his people out of Egypt, the pillar of cloud and fire, uh, spoken of as the angel of the Lord that is there in that pillar of cloud and fire. So the angel of the Lord at least is there all the way through that narrative of the Exodus and then the giving of the law as well. I think the other thing that comes to mind as I read Hebrews here is just the reaction that everyone always has to angels all through the Bible. When an angel turns up, they're flat on their face, fearing for their life. These are scary beings. And so, you know, that means you take their word seriously. Maybe there's a temptation when Jesus comes here. He doesn't look as scary. He's a human. He walked around. He got rejected by all sorts of people. Uh, And so we might be able to fall into this comparison of angels, Jesus. And Hebrews is trying to go, Jesus is more worth listening to for sure. The angels are glorious, but the sun is much more glorious. And I'm conscious that there's a movement around in Christian circles today that you know thinks and talks a lot about angels and gives a priority and a preference to angels. And so there's still, at least in some circles, cause to come back here and go, yeah, angels are great, but Jesus is the greatest. Yeah. Jesus is the greatest and even the angels pointed Pointing mm. us to Jesus. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's good. So, just on that, so where would you encourage people, people who are more interested in thinking more about angels in the Bible? Do you have things in mind that? Oh, sorry to put you on. No, the that's fine. Much. Look, We've talked about this before. All good, all good. <laughs> I've noticed that Tim Chester's written a book recently, trying to speak into that current Christian movement that has a focus on angels, so he's trying to bring a bit of a corrective to that. Now, I've not read his book. I've read other things from Tim Chester, so I imagine it would be a helpful one. A book that helped me a number of years back was called Eyes Fixed on Jesus, A Sideways Look at Spiritual Warfare. Picking up the language of Hebrews, helpfully. Uh, That's next week. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful way of like It's just a great title for a book. I think it's out of print, though. but that's a really good one. If you can find a copy or you can come and steal the one off my shelf, have a read of that. Excellent. <laughs> it might not be there by Sunday. It might not. It might not. Let's move on from angels. And uh, I'm aware, Raj, that this didn't necessarily come through in your sermon on Sunday, but we had Peter speaking as well. And Peter brought up a warning against materialistic hedonism yeah. as one of the ways that we today might be tempted to drift. Uh, and a few people had questions around that. Yeah, I feel confident asking you because I'm sure you've thought about materialistic hedonism as well and some of these questions are tied to parenting and you're a parent who has wrestled with what it is to be a godly Christian parent. And still wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's try to tackle some of these. Uh, someone's asked, why is wanting to be happy and having a set life wrong? Is it bad to want to be happy in life? Yeah. Thank you. And let me just say, I, I heard Peter's sermon. Peter preached at Night Church and also at North Rocks. It was an excellent sermon. Um, and I just think the way he and I approached it was a little bit different. Mm. Um, not contradictory at all. We just focused on different bits. So mm. one of the strengths of what Peter did was talking a lot about the application side of things and mm. materialistic hedonism was part of that. Um, I wish I had more time to do that. So I fully support everything he said. 
and it's a really tricky area. Mm. Um, one of the things he said, or he mentioned in passing actually, was how our, he, he mentioned the, the, the paradigm now is that of pleasure and pain. That is how we make decisions. That is, it, it, we used to make decisions driven by what was right. We did what was right and avoided what was wrong. Mm. That was the value we aspired to. Now the value we aspire to is what brings us pleasure. Mm. And we avoid what brings us pain or what we think will bring us pain. Mm. So that is intrinsically connected with materialistic hedonism because we think that we will derive pleasure from um, things we have or experiences we pursue. And, and of course, you combine, you know, hot air ballooning is going to change my life. Mm. And so you buy that experience. Mm. You derive pleasure from that experience. And so sitting behind that is this question. Um, wanting to be happy and have a set life. Having a set life means different things for different people. Wanting to be happy means different things for different people. <clears throat> so it may well be, depending on what is meant by those things, that they are wonderful um, um, aims to have that represents someone who is God-fearing. Mm. But it may also be the case that those same words someone else interprets quite differently. Having a happy life means owning a house um, and having, you know, a certain size and having 2.4 kids and having this security and having the holiday house up the, you know, up the coast so mm. they can go to the beach and mm. enjoy that is materialistic. Mm. So I, a big part of it depends on where someone is and how people interpret these same words. It's, it's very subjective. Mm. And that is the point of materialistic hedonism. Mm. It's very subjective, mm. whatever works for you. Mm. So I, I find myself continually coming back. I think John Piper has done some excellent thinking in this area. Um, he he built on this term hedonism and he developed it into a term he called Christian hedonism. And that is, um, so hedonism is a word interpreted means pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to say to people, have pleasure in knowing God. Mm. That's a good thing. Mm. Christian hedonism is mm -hmm. a good thing. Yeah. So it's not just talking about the word pleasure, it's talking about where that lies. Mm. Um, so look, there's a longer you know, filling in that framework, which I think would be helpful for a number of these questions. Yeah. Um, but, so having a, being happy and having a set life might be a wonderful thing, depending on what you mean by it. Yeah. Having, you know, being content. Um, 1 Timothy 6 talks about being content mm. with, mm. with whatever God and not, and he's giving warnings to the rich because by default, rich people keep pursuing more and the ends for wealth. I said default, not everyone. There are exceptions. I know yeah. a number of exceptions that are wonderful. Um, but by default, and it's linked to Jesus' words as well about um, how hard it is for a rich person to inherit mm. the kingdom of God. Mm. Yeah, so there's a real dangers here, mm. and I've said this before in other sermons and other topics. We keep thinking of ourselves as not wealthy. Mm. We think those words are not speaking to us. Mm. 
but I think they are. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. sure they are. We are yeah. among the richest people in the world. We have this category of materialistic hedonism. That's why it's one of the things I'm so delighted Peter chose mm. to mm. speak on. He That was one. The other was the, the moralism category mm. um, because they are just real temptations. Yeah. Let's press into one of the specific examples and that we'll start down the money line of things. Someone sounds like they're at uni at the moment and they're looking ahead and they are thinking about how much money they're going to make, how much money they're making now, what kind of job they're going to get. Uh, is that kind of thinking materialistic hedonism? Are they allowed to just be thinking about supporting themselves when inflation is going up and uh, interest rates are going up? Yeah. Help, help a uni student think about how they should be thinking about money. Well, Lachlan, you probably have comments here as well. Um, that will be incredibly helpful. I think it is very hard in this sort of stuff to look at the words in the question like this and be definitive. Mm. Because once again, different people are coming from different perspectives. Um, I think in my years, I've talked to people in a variety of different situations. I've had some conversations with people finishing uni that have been along the line of, I mean, in fact, they've said to me, one person I'm thinking of said to me, oh, I don't need to work full time. You know, to survive for the next few years, I need, this is what I want to do. Mm. Um, and I can do that by working part time or by having a couple of part time jobs mm. too. Mm. Um, and some people would hear that and just have a reaction, hang on, you've just finished uni, you've studied for three mm. years, don't you want to have a job? And mm. I've had, I'm thinking of another conversation. <clears throat> with someone else and this was a few years down the track and I've, I've told this story and will continue to and this time I was talking to someone about the job they had and um, somehow the topic of generosity came up and they said I just said oh how are you going being generous to the Lord now that you're working mm. and their response to me was oh I have to set myself up at the moment yeah, right. And that was just really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And that they got into a conversation of a whole mindset that was going on. Mm. And in that particular case, I was talking. We ended up talking about the suitability of this person for full time Christian mm. work. Mm. And the conversation we got onto it really, I didn't plan this. I just was catching up with someone yeah. I knew, and but God had other things in mind. And it really got into a um, a wonderful conversation a hard conversation about where this person's heart was at. Mm. Mm. And they realised, I didn't say much at all, actually, mm. they just kept going. It was one mm. of those times. They realised that their motive was, um, um, if I can pick up on the words of Matthew 6, to invest in this world, mm. not the world to mm. come. Mm. Um, so I was delighted. It was a number of years later, this person called me one day and said, Raj, I just thought you might be interested to know I've decided to do MTS. And it was a delight. Not, I mean, yes, it's great they were doing MTS, but but the bigger thing was how the Lord used that conversation in the journey of that person realising where their heart was. Mm. Um, so both of those examples, people were concerned for 
coming out of uni, what they're going to do, yeah. how they're going to survive. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems clear enough to me in both of those examples, their hearts were in different places. Yeah. And that subjectivity and just the different way that words are felt and meant does make it tricky. Having grown up on the Central Coast, right? I know people who just want to work as little as they have to, that then surf as much as they can. And so it's a different pursuit of pleasure than just money and surviving in the world. Uh, but I, you mentioned 1 Timothy 6 before, where in terms of our needs, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. And I always think we have so much more than that in Australia, uh, so much more than just food and clothing. Yep. And so there is cause to really consider. Um, I'm reading a little history of economics at the moment, actually, because I want to grow in my understanding of not just individuals in this, but how our whole economic systems impact and the yep. history of different options there. Uh, and I picked up a phrase from one of the economists from the early 20th century about conspicuous consumption, where he just uh, talks about a, a new, at that time, a new form of product that people were buying just to show off that they had it and to show off that they didn't need to work. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's most of what we buy today, isn't it? Most of what we buy is not necessity, but conspicuous consumption, things that we want to show off to the world, even if we don't use them ever. Yeah. Uh, so some good things to pause and consider there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, look, I could, I think about buying Christmas gifts and things. Mm. I, I have just found it's become harder mm. to get gifts because I constantly find myself thinking this person has everything. What do I, mm. everything they need mm. and more. Mm. What do I get? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but look, it, is, it may just be worth saying, I'm sure there are some people, you know, listening to this, so I think for the majority of people, I suspect it's in balls. I think we've both spoken about, you know, one end of what people need to hear. Um, but I also think there's another end that... Um, Yeah, you know, supporting yourself and the Bible tells us to support widows. Mm. The Bible tells us to work with our hands and not to be a burden to others. Mm. And so if there are people in our context who for whom that's a genuine issue, um, that'll, that's also something I want to affirm. Yeah. 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 There might well be people who are struggling to get food and shelter uh, in the midst of the housing costs around Sydney at the moment. So. Yeah recognize that side of things as well and let's be a community that can help out those in our midst that need the help in those yeah. times yeah. it is worth saying if people in that category please do reach out in some way um one of the wonderful things about st paul's i got an email just the other day about a particular need someone has and i have absolutely no doubt i've seen this consistently come up at st paul's there are people in our church community who would love to help. Mm. Yeah, great. Yeah, and and sometimes, you know, we can be a bit proud to accept. Oh, I want, it's, it's part of being a Christian, living in a Christian community, so mm. reach out. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, look, let's see if we can get through two more questions. We'll try to do them quickly. Uh, I want to keep pressing on this one. Someone's asked about parenting. Um, is it wrong for a parent to want their child to be healthy and happy? There's, you know, and the same theme of hedonism and pleasure versus pain. 
parents seem to be wired to want their children to be healthy. Is that a wrong thing? Um, well, let's take healthy and happy as two separate things. I think healthy is a wonderful thing to you know, want for yourself and your children um, um, for all kinds of reasons. Part of the biblical reason is um, not to be a burden to others. Another mm. part of the reason is to help people understand the blessings that God provides. Being happy, I think that's the discussion we've just had. Mm. And it also applies in the world of parenting. You're about to become a parent. Yes. Three or four weeks to go. Yes. My youngest is now in year 12. One just married, one in second year uni. Mm. Um, so we have certainly gone through this journey, and I want to say struggle, because, you know, you grow up, and many parents are like this, and um, at various times, we were certainly like this too, that, you know, our kids are off doing every activity under the sun, and this, that, and the other. The problem I see is, in amongst all of that, the priority should be, um, I mean, Deuteronomy, the Shema talks about this, that is, raising your kids to fear the Lord mm. and to know Jesus. Mm. And I think children pick up the priorities of their parents, mm. regardless of what mm. you say. They see mm. what you do. Um, yeah. They see if you're at church each week. They see if you go to growth group, they mm. see if you pray, they see if you read your Bible, they see what you talk about. Um, and what you do with your money. And what you do with your money, although less so, although it is interesting, I I think it's okay for me to say this, um, Nicole and I, as our kids grew up, really didn't talk about mm. how we used our money, mm. even giving to church. Mm. Um, I think later on we just made a few comments that we do give. And I'm delighted as each of them have started working, they have given. Mm. But so that there's my there's my point. Yeah. You know, you don't it's not necessarily an explicit thing, but it's a priority they picked up. Yeah. And when they started working, they just each made comments. Maybe the context was, let's talk about board. And they come back and look, yes, I'm gonna pay board. Next week, I have to give to church this week or something mm, like that. Or something, mm. I thought, yes, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but they just pick up that priority. Yeah. And I think it's the same conversation about what it means to be happy. Yeah. Um, is it the materialistic hedonism yeah. category? Yeah. Or is it, if I can call it the John Piper category of Christian hedonism, yeah. um, delighting in seeing glory brought to God? Yeah. Yeah, it takes me back a couple of weeks to Psalm 15 and Sam was talking through there. And, you know, Psalm 15 encouraged us to honour our commitments and our oaths even when it hurts. And so depending on your vision of what happiness is, yep. you know, you're going to be someone that breaks your word because it brings you happiness or someone that keeps that word. Yeah. And through that honouring of God comes to a deeper happiness. Which which vision yeah. of happiness yeah, will which we And look, we're talking about materialism, but if I could just shift gears slightly and talk about um, as many are, you know, I you know are aware that you know I have a child who's quite into sport mm. and not bad at it. It's, it's the same kind of thing. Mm. We, we had to go through over the years the struggle of: do you just say no because it's on Sunday and that means they can't come to church? Mm. But what we actually found 
it a great opportunity to help our kids grow in the Lord Jesus and say, okay, if you want to do that, how is it that you're going to keep growing mm. to know Jesus better and to love Jesus mm. and to serve Jesus? Mm. And it, it actually was an opportunity to embed some of that in a way that we just saw each of our kids own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, you can't always do that. Yeah. But a lot of the time we can do that with a bit of creativity. Um, and I think, Hebrews, we're going to come up to some strong passages as we go on about it. just the value of being at church. Mm -hmm. I think we can be quite, well, we have the opportunity, let me say, just to be creative about what that looks like. You know, if, if something's on one particular day, if you're family, young family stage of life, I know it's becoming increasingly popular for people in the world to put, you know, birthday parties on Sunday mornings and so on. What a powerful thing will be for your family to say, okay, we're going to go to that birthday party and we're going to go to church at night that week. Mm. Or dare I say, we're going to be at church early morning that week mm. and then go to the party. Mm. Um, and I think it's those sorts of, let me call them disruptors in the normal mm. way of life that can be really powerful teaching moments. Yeah. And shift our thinking from materialistic hedonism into Christian hedonism. Yeah, nice. Look, that's been really helpful, Raj. We might leave it there. There's a couple more questions, but I think they'll keep coming up as Hebrews goes on. Okay. And so we'll have opportunity to revisit some of those. Thanks for all the questions that you sent in this week. I hope you've found that discussion helpful. Uh, and, you know, we're looking forward to pressing on in Hebrews and continuing to see Jesus greater depth all of his riches of glory, uh, and to be encouraged to keep clinging to Jesus. So Raj, we'll see you again on Sunday for Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, look forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. And once again, Peter and I are preaching, and um, um, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, you mentioned actually the words uh, about looking to Jesus, the book you were talking about. Those words are coming from this text coming up this Sunday, mm. and they are just... They're magnificent words, and we're going to look at what underlies those words. So let me just leave it, leave it at that, and hope to see you on Sunday. Sounds good. See you then.